The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Romans chapter number 2, verse number 17. Of course, Paul is writing here, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And art confident that thou thyself are a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Verse 23, thou that makest the boast of the law through the breaking law of the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteous of the law, thou shalt not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision. Verse 27. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. I want to preach to you just for a minute tonight on why religion can't save you. This first major section of Romans, chapters 1, verses 18 through chapters 3, verse number 20, Paul makes this convincing case that everybody has sinned. The first three chapters of Romans, Paul identifies three different types of people who need forgiveness and proves them guilty before God, those who need to be saved. Uh, Some have titled them the rebellious, the respectable, and now the uh, religious, or the heathen, the hypocrite, and the Hebrew. Paul proves each group guilty before God. The heathen claim they are innocent based on ignorance, and Paul answers them that God is revealed in creation. The hypocrite claim they are innocent based on comparison, and Paul answers them, you are comparing yourself to the wrong person. Listen, by the way, if you're comparing yourself to anyone but the Lord Jesus Christ, you're comparing yourself to the wrong person. Now here in our passage, in our text, he's talking to the Hebrew or the religious. He's talking to the Sunday night crowd. He's talking to those that that know the Word and those that know the law. And he proves him guilty also. He ends up summarizing his charges by saying, if you look at it, look at chapter 3 quickly, verse number 9. Chapter 3 and look at verse number 9. What then, are we better than they? No and no wise, for we have both proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. And the famous verse number 10, as it is written, there is how many righteous? There is none righteous, no, not one. 
There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Romans 3.23, we all know that verse. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now this Hebrew or this religious person, Paul points out that you can be religious and lost. You can be a church member and still be unsaved or saved and still be unspiritual. This Hebrew or this religious person. Paul points out that you can be religious and lost. You can be a church member and still unsaved or saved but unspiritual. Listen, you can be a Methodist and still be unsaved and still be unspiritual. You can be a Lutheran and still be unsaved and still be unspiritual. You can be a Catholic and still be unsaved and still be unspiritual. You can be an independent Baptist and still be unsaved and still be unspiritual. Listen, religion, rituals, and rules don't make you saved. But it doesn't stop there. Religion, rituals, and rules don't make you spiritual. Listen, there's a whole lot of people. I heard, I, I heard Brother Clark say this years ago, there's a whole lot of people that have been down the Romans road that have never been down the Damascus road. Listen, when, when you get saved and something as big as God comes into your life, something's going to happen and some things are going to change. I don't believe that somebody gets saved and gets passed from death into life and nothing happens in their life. Hey, your destiny changes. Your destination changes. Your demeanor ought to change. There's some things in your life that change. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 22 says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, we're real good at saying, I, I've heard this so often, we're, you ever heard this, this, this religious phrase, we're to, love, we're, we're to hate the sin and love the sinner. I've got a, I like saying it better this way, how about we love the sinner and we hate my own sin? We're good at hating everybody else's sin, aren't we? Then when it gets in our life and the pastor starts meddling in our business and the preacher starts getting up in our grill, it's a whole lot harder to say amen. You see, Satan is a deceiver. One of the many reasons our churches are dead, one of the reasons that many quote-unquote Christians seem dead is because there's a whole lot of religious people that have never been saved, or there's a whole lot of saved people that have never understood what it truly means to be a spiritual person. Paul here goes through this passage and he gives us eight characteristics of the religious person. And we're just going to work through this text tonight for just a minute. Look at verse number 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew. Listen, the Jews here thought their name was an instant passport to heaven. The pride of tradition, the pride of heritage, the pride of religion. You asked them, are you right with God? They would say, of course I'm right with God. I'm a Jew. Listen, the first thing here, the first trait of a religious person is they depend on a label. They depend on... On a label. Now, I'm not against labels. I'm Baptist born and I'm Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. But listen, the moment that we put our faith and our trust in that label, and we're a religion, and, and that's what we're counting on for our spirituality, or we think we're better than someone because of that label, 
we're, we're no different than they were here. And Paul's about to rip them apart. Behold, thou art called as you. You depend on a label. And by the way, don't, isn't there people that do that today? Man, I'm, I'm better than this person because of this place or this thing or this title. It's not a label or a religion that saves you or makes you spiritual. It's an active relationship with Christ. There's a whole lot of people that sit in church week after week and amen the pastor and sing songs and recite creeds. And because they have some label, even a label of a Christian, they think they're okay. Let me tell you this, there's a whole lot of people that call themselves Christians. There's a whole lot of people that'll sit in church. There's a whole lot of people that'll sing the songs of Zion that someday when they stand eyeball to eyeball with God Almighty, listen, if you're depending on a label tonight, it's not a label that saves you. It's an act of relationship. Would you, it's, hey, it's putting your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Look at verse 17. Not only do they rely on, uh, depend on a label, but verse 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew. And look at this next part. You got your Bibles open? Let's keep our Bibles open. Look at it. And resteth in the what? In the law. Not only do they depend on a label, they rely on rules and regulations. Hey, they believe that these rules and regulations that they follow not only save them, but make them spiritual. If you're counting on rules and regulations to make you feel like you're special tonight, to make you feel like you're better than someone else tonight, to make you feel like you're religious tonight, hey, you're missing out on what God has for you. It's not rules and regulations. Look at verse 17 again. They trust in a label. They rely on rules and regulations. Verse 17 Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law. Look at this next part. And makest thyself, thy boast of God. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the most pride-filled people in the world are religious people? They brag about their works. They brag about their rules. They bag, brag about their religion. So they trust in a label. They rely on rules and regulations. Thirdly, they think that they have a special standing with God. Hey, religion doesn't make you saved. It's saying, I do to a relationship that makes you saved. Religion isn't what makes you spiritual. It's a relationship that makes you spiritual. Listen, did you know God many times bypasses a religious establishment to get His message across? When God announced Jesus' birth, did He go tell the priest? Help me out. No. Who did He, t- who did he appear to first? The shepherds. He bypassed the high priest and the rabbi. So they trust in a label. And hang with me because we're going somewhere with this. They, they rely on rules and regulations. They think they have a special standing with God. Look at verse 17 again. Behold, thou art called a Jew. That label. They resteth in the law. They, they rely in the law. They make it their self boast of God. They, they think they have a special standing with God. And look at verse 18. And knowest His will. Hey, they know His will and nobody else does. Hey, they know the way and nobody else does. So they claim a special knowledge. They claim to know something that no one else knows. Look at verse 17. You're going to have this verse memorized by the time we're done here. Behold, thou art called a Jew and resteth in the law and makest thy boast of God and knowest His will. And then look at this next part. And approvest the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law. Listen, they maintain a high moral standard. And by the way, many of these things were good. Nothing wrong 
with having rules and regulations. Nothing wrong with having labels. Nothing wrong with having high moral standards. But when we put our faith in those high moral standards, when we put our faith in those rules and regulations, hey, when we put our faith in that label for salvation or to make us more spiritual than someone else, guess what? We've missed the boat on what God's intended us for us. They were trusting in these things to show how spiritual they were. Look at verse 19. And art confident that that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish. Look at the wording here. Teachers of babes. So they trust in a label. They rely on rules and regulations. They think they have a special standing with God. They claim to special knowledge. They maintain a high moral standard. And then this is one of my favorite ones. They have a condescending attitude toward others. Look at it. I'm a guide. You're blind. I'm, a, I'm in light. You're in darkness. I'm an instructor. You're foolish. I'm a teacher. You're a babe. Have you ever met a religious person that had that smug holier than thou, I know more than you do type attitude. Listen, if we're going to have revival in our lives personally, we've got to realize who we are. We're the teachers, we're the guides, we're the way. Everybody else is blind, everybody else is foolish, everybody else is in the dark, everyone else is just stupid. This religious snob. I can help you with your spiritual problems because I don't have any spiritual problems. A religious know-it-all. A person who uses the Bible to impress others instead of help others. They quote verses to give themselves an ego boost. These people have a condescending attitude towards others. Listen. Listen to this statement. If your faith makes you feel superior to others, then you're devoted to a religion and not a relationship. If what you believe makes you feel like you're better than anybody else, you've missed what Jesus has intended in your life. It's interesting to me, the more of a person thought himself spiritually, the less God used that person. The less a person thought of himself spiritually, the more God used them. I mentioned some of these this morning, but I just want to read them again. Think of Paul, who's writing here. Paul, who planted more churches than anyone. Paul, here's your chance. Spiritually brag on yourself. For in nothing... Am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing? Wait a second, Paul. You wrote more books of the Bible than anybody else. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Paul, you've probably seen more saved than anyone. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. The more a person thinks of himself spiritually, I'm somebody spiritually, I've done this and I've done that, I run this ministry and I work in this area, the less God uses that person. The less a person thinks of himself spiritually, the more God uses him. Paul, tell us how spiritual you are, for I'm the least of the apostles. Paul, you've accomplished so much, you must understand how great of a Christian you are. Ephesians 3, 8, unto me, who am the less of the least of all saints. Paul, do you want to be praised from the pulpit for the work you do? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. How about John the Baptist, Christ said, was the greatest born of woman. 
He must have tooted his own horn a lot. And he preached saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. How about Isaiah in Isaiah 6.5? Then he said, Woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. How about Jacob who God used to father the twelve tribes of Israel? Genesis 32.10 I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Genesis 18.27 Abraham testified that he considered himself just dust and ashes. Someone once said that evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Listen to me. Spiritual pride will kill your spiritual life quicker than anything. You know, pride someday is going to send thousands to hell. Look at verse 21. Thou therefore which teachest another. Here he goes again. Man, he's getting on him, isn't he? Teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal. Dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery. Dost thou commit adultery? Thou that of a horse, dost thou commit sacrilege? They trust in a label. They rely on rules and regulations. They think they have a special standing with God. They claim to special knowledge. They have a high moral standard. They have a condescending attitude towards others. They don't always practice what they preach. Note this phrase in this set of verses. You teach. You preach. You say. You abhor. What do all of these words have have in common? They are all related to what part of your body? The mouth. Religious hypocrites are great at verbalizing their Christianity, but many times have a hard time living their Christianity. Isaiah 29, 13 says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips they do honor me, but they have removed their heart from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Ezekiel 33, 31, And they come unto thee as a people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear the words, listen, but they will not do them, for their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after covetousness. Listen, if we're not careful, we'll get caught up in this crew. It's great about talking about faith. It's great about saying the right words. That's great about having the right rules and having the right standards and having everything right. But inside, we're empty. We're alone. Let me just say tonight, our kids, our wives, our husbands, those that are closest to us, they know us for who we really are. We come into church and we can acknowledge God with our lips and then we can go out the door and live like everybody else and talk like everybody else and it becomes a religion to us if we're not careful. If we're not careful, it becomes just another thing that we do to make ourselves feel better than someone else. Look at verse 23. This is the result of this type of person. Thou makest thy boast of the law. Talking about that spiritual pride. Through the breaking the law, thou dishonorest God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. You know the worst sin that a Jew could commit, guess what it was? It was blasphemy. Blasphemy was bringing shame on God's 
name. Your lifestyle of hypocrisy. Your lifestyle of judging others by a harsher standard than you live. Your lifestyle of Phariseeism. Your lifestyle of spiritual pride is causing the unsaved to blaspheme God's name. People like this aren't pointing people to God. They're pointing people away from God. Paul says, because of the way you act, unbelievers are turned off. Unbelievers are blaspheming God because of this spiritual pride. By the way, let me just throw this out there. Those people you work with, they need to see Jesus. They need to hear about Jesus. But sometimes we got so much, we argue so much politically. If I look up here for a minute. We, we want to argue, you know, we've got people we work with that go to the bars every night and they, 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 they may be a different political party than us and we try to fix that. And we try to argue with them. We've got to get the last word in. And what ends up happening is, hey, that political party isn't their problem and that bar isn't their problem and the places that they, don't, that they go isn't their problem. Their problem is they don't know the Lord. And maybe they don't know the Lord because they've never met anybody that acts like they know the Lord. Because Christians so often can slip into this place of spiritual pride where we begin to think we're better than somebody else and it's because of us and it's because of something we've done. And we want to fix everybody and make everybody just like us. But what they need is to find somebody and to see somebody that God's made a difference in. And they need to see the love of Christ in somebody's life. And they need to see the love of Christ coming out of somebody's lips. And they need, hey, listen, who cares what political party they are? Is anybody out there at all tonight? We get up and preach on homosexuality and against gay marriage and everybody amens. We preach on pride and we can't. Is there, listen, it's what's killing our, our friends and our co-workers is we get the last word in about everything, but we need the last word in. The gospel is what will change them. Hey, the spirit is what changes them. You never win an argument. Look at verse 25. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision. Verse 27. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. For he, and here it is. For he is not a Jew, which is one what? Outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. So those outward things isn't what makes a person spiritual. It's not what makes a person saved. Look at verse 29. But he is a Jew which is one, what's the next word? Inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter. Whose praise is not of men but of God. Now to understand the context here, listen to me. Circumcision, this was a big deal. This is something they took a ton of pride in. This is one of those things that had become a religion. This is one of their fundamentals of the faith. This word, listen, this circumcision, this ritual they took pride in. Look at verse 28 and 29. The key words here are outwardly and inwardly. He's talking the difference between outwardly and outward practice and inwardly and inward attitude. Originally, circumcision was meant to be an expression of a person's faith. But you know what had happened? It had become the essence of the faith itself. It became what they, it started out as a good thing, something God commanded, but they began to worship that instead of 
him. They, they started looking at that to say, hey, that's what makes a person spiritual instead of God. It, it's like the wedding ring of Judaism. I've seen people, married people who wear the wedding ring, but there is no commitment. Is everybody track with me? That ring doesn't mean you're committed. I've also known people who didn't wear it because of work or whatever that were more committed than some people that did wear it. Listen, it's not about that. Every Jewish boy here was circumcised as a symbol to God, but what happened was it became a ritual. Every Jewish man thought if he was circumcised, he was right with God. He could do anything and still make it to heaven because of this one Ritual. It was a form of works that they took pride in. If you asked a Jewish man, are you right with God? He'd say, of course I am. I'm circumcised. And by the way, you can substitute any word you want for the word circumcision and you get the same idea. Baptism. The Lord's Supper. Good things. But we don't worship those things. Church membership. How about this one? An unwritten list of do's and don'ts. Rituals. Religion. Listen, it doesn't matter the ritual. All these things are useless symbols if there's no heart commitment behind it. Rituals without a relationship are worthless. It's empty. Listen, I know people who have some of the highest standards and praise God for them. They don't have a personal relationship with God and they're not spending time in prayer and they're not getting into His presence. Listen, that's an empty way to live tonight. It's no different than the person that bows to a statue. Is everybody awake in here tonight? Hey, it's no different than a person that works to some false god. If it's not about Jesus and Jesus only tonight, it's a religion, not a relationship. Turn to Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3. Paul gives us a biblical illustration of a right attitude towards rules and rituals. And we're going somewhere with this for revival, so stay with me. Look at chapter 3, verse number 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, that he might trust in the flesh. Look, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. You know what Paul was saying here? I kept every law. I was a perfectly religious person. But let's see what he says after salvation. Look at verse number 7. Let's see what Paul said in verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I, I, sometimes I wish we could tra- translate this next part into our language so we understand what he's saying here, but look at it. And do count them but what? Done. That I may win Christ. That's strong language. Those things that I had, those works, those, that education, you might as well flush it down the toilet. That's what he's saying. It does not matter. Look at verse 9. And be found in Him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the what? Of the law. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is by, of God by faith. Paul says all of those things that I would put on my resume to impress people to get into the who's who of fundamentalism, I consider that garbage because it isn't worth anything. What is important is my faith and my relationship with a person, God's Son, Jesus Christ. 
The last two verses, Paul concludes Romans 2 by asking a question. He says, who is, a, who is a real Jew? He says, is it based on race? Do you have to be born a Jew? Is it based on religion to observe the Jewish feast and holy days? Is it based on rules to observe the Jewish dietary laws and the rules? Look at verse 8, 28 again. For he is not a Jew, which is one, circle it, outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the leather whose praise is not of men but of God. So here's the deal. For revival, I want you to think about this. We're all here on a Sunday night. Man, these are, this is the good church people, right? I mean, we're back tonight. We're in our place. We're singing. In the, this is the choir workers. This is, the, this is those that are running bus routes and working in kids' classes and are faithful supporters of the church and, man, are here and are going to be here Monday night and Tuesday night. Let me just say tonight, let me just, beckon, let me just beg you tonight to think about this. If you're not spending time in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, just like Paul said, all the works, all the things that we do, all those works. Is everybody tracking with me here? Listen. So here's the question. Here's the challenge tonight. Where are you in your relationship with God right now? But let's just let's bring it down the shelf. I'm not asking you how long you've been saved tonight. I'm not asking you how long you've been in the church and how much money you give and how religious you think you are or how many times you sing in church or how many times you do something for the praise of men. I want to ask you this past Monday morning, hey, did you have a time where you cracked open this old blessed book and you spent time with God? Hey, this past Tuesday morning, did you get down on your knees in the presence of a holy God? Hey, this past Wednesday, did you have a time where you got to know Jesus and you spent time with Him and you basked in His presence in personal, private worship? This past Thursday, did you have a time you spent with God? This past Friday, did you have a time where you opened the Word of God and you spent time down on your knees and you, you spent time in His presence saying, Oh God, You are holy and oh God, I need You and my family needs You and our town needs You and our church needs You and our pastor needs You. Hey, I'm not asking you if you're on staff tonight. I'm asking you, are you spending time with God? You see... Hey, the world, listen, the world's going to bring trial, and it's going to bring heartache, and it's going to bring problems. It's going to bring issues. And the only thing that's going to get you through isn't a church. Hey, the only thing that's going to get you through isn't some preacher or some pastor or even your spouse or anyone else. The only thing that's going to get you through is your relationship with God. Let me tell you something tonight. He'll be there when nobody's there. Hey, he'll wrap his loving arms around you when you've cried all you can cry tonight. Think about it. How are you doing with this book tonight? You want to have revival? Hey, how's your prayer time? How much, hey, when's the last time you got down on your knees and begged God to do something great? I get tired and I'm thankful for things of old that happened. And I love it. I love being around old men of God. Hey, but I'm tired of hearing about all the revivals and all the meetings and all the things that used to happen. Hey, I believe that God could do it now. Hey, I believe that God could do it right here in this church right now. Hey, I don't believe that great churches can just be built, built in Lancaster, California and can be built in Chicago, Illinois. Hey, God wants to do it right here in New Jersey tonight. And if a couple people, I believe, will go to the presence of God and beg God for His power and beg God to do something, we step back and see God do something where only He can get the glory. How about it tonight? How's your prayer life? Let me ask you tonight. If we're going to have revival, forget all the other stuff. Great songs tonight, but forget about it. Great programs, great building. Forget about it. 
How's your walk with God tonight? Hey, let me th- hey, moms and dads, have your kids ever seen you one time at the kitchen table with your Bible open? Do they know you as a dad and as a mom of prayer? Man, I thank God that every day when I get up and I go ready to leave, thank God my wife's sitting in that same place, the best Christian I know, sitting in that same place every single day with the word of God cracked open. Is everybody awake in here? Hey, that's what will make a difference in your life tonight. You can try to conform to some religion. You can try to dress the part. You can try to look the part. You can say amen at the right time. If you don't have a relationship with God tonight, you're empty. Hey, you're looking at a recovering Pharisee tonight. Is everybody awake in here? You're looking at somebody one time thought my rules and my regulations and because Dr. So-and-so or this person knew my name that all of a sudden I'm alright and I'm going to be okay then God made me eat dirt for a while and made me realize I've got to eventually stand on my own two feet and get alone with God spend some time with Him you know what the fruit of the Spirit and the evidence of a person spending time with God is you can just tell I love being around old men of God and people that just reek of the Holy Spirit of God you know their spirit's different they don't talk hateful. You want to know how you know if somebody spends time with God, listen to their words. Anybody that's always talking about somebody, I don't care what position they have, they're not filled with the Spirit. Because that's not what Jesus is all about tonight. So here's the challenge. We're going to have a revival the next two days. I want to encourage you tonight. Get a place. Get a hold of God. Get a hold of Him. Man, talk to Him. Hey, listen, He wants to hear what's going on. You ever felt like there's nobody that could understand what you're going through? I'm the same way. Hey, he understands. You ever feel like you couldn't go, you can't go another day and you're ready to throw in the towel? You're ready to quit? Stop doing it in the flesh. That's the result of that. You ever feel like all your work and, man, all the time you spend at the church and you just don't have any completion? I'm begging you tonight, listen to me. Get a hold and get alone with God. It it do some of us good, and as God's opened the doors for me to preach, I preach this all over the place. We have an empty religion so often, and we need to get back to the powerful presence of an almighty God in our lives where, hey, the tears are normal, and the hands lifted are normal, and the salvations don't surprise us, and the baptisms don't surprise us anymore, and people getting right with God don't surprise us anymore. Spend time with Him. Some of us tonight, before we go on to another revival service, and another night, they decide tonight we're going to start spending time in this book and spending time in prayer. People run to me and they run to him all the time for counsel. Hey, when there's one that can counsel you better than any preacher could ever counsel you, the wonderful, the counselor, listen, this book will change your life like nothing else will. I'm telling you tonight, trust me on it, crack it open and get into it. Listen, the tears that stain this page, these pages, man, I've had those nights where I was lonely, I was afraid. Those health issues, those deaths in our family. You know, I've never walked into a hospital room and seen any other book sitting beside a bed but this one. Listen, when all hope is gone, there's one that you'll be able to turn to. You better believe this. If you're not going through it, you're going to. I said it this morning. Last Saturday, I preached a 21-year-old's funeral. Lung cancer. One year ago from the day, I preached a 23-year-old's funeral. We don't know how much time we have. Man, we don't know how much time we have with our kids and with our families and here at the church. 
Let's get right with God tonight. Let's not put it off anymore. Let's not keep playing games. Hey, let's get right. Let's, man, if there's something going on, we need to get down here. If we're going to see God do something and just confess it to Him and ask Him, He'll forgive you. He ain't going to be mad at you. He's going to get over it. But there's Christian school teachers and deacons and, listen, good, quote-unquote, Christians tonight that need to get back to the basics of prayer and Bible reading. This book and this relationship, that's what makes one spiritual. You know what I found in my life? When I'm spending time in the Word and I'm spending time in prayer, all the rules and rituals, all the things that I need to have in order, guess what happens? It's a natural byproduct of spending time with God is you're going to be a holy person. What happens is we get that backwards. We want to get all this holiness without the power and we're denying what God wants for us. It's not this work and work. It's His work through us as we get to know Him, as we spend time with Him. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, You can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.